Amen. So John 16, John 15 was the Lord was speaking of a message of abiding in him, obeying his commands and loving one another as he has loved us. So when we look at verse one, when it says, <laughs> excuse me, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. These things, if you rewound and, and look back at John 15, that's what he's talking about. Abide in him, obey his commands, love one another as he loved us. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I do not say to you. I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So again, as uh, the Lord is still speaking this discourse, uh, John 14, 15, 16, um, his last full long discourse uh, to the disciples. And he has this time with them that started in the upper room as they uh, had the, the, the last supper and at the end of 14, Jesus said, you know, arise, let's go from here. So the, 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 the conversation just continued. It was a continual conversation. <clears throat> and uh, when he starts here by saying these things I have spoken to you, again, was regarding abiding, obeying, and loving. He goes on in verse 2, uh, preparing the disciples for real persecution that's coming. Then when they see it, uh, they uh, should not be made to stumble. You know, that as, as long as they're following the Lord as they should, that when these things come, they are not going to stumble. You know, these, uh, as the Lord is explaining, these, this is pretty powerful. Verse 2. Now, think of, we've already discussed the fear that these guys uh, had in their hearts. Uh, they, they hear that Jesus is leaving. They had spent three years with him. They had heard that one of them is going to betray Jesus. And they had also seen that one of their leaders among them, you know, Peter, James, and John were, were kind of the internal leaders of those three, and that Peter was going to deny the Lord three times before the rooster crowed, right? That's, that's a pretty heavy thing, and the Lord goes into, uh, into comforting them and to teach, into teaching them and then preparing them. So as he says something as heavy as, they will put you out of the synagogues, that means you're going to be shunned. By, by uh, everybody around you, society is going to shun you. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. So uh, and, and he goes on to say that, that and these things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. So those people that don't know the Lord, that think they do, but don't know the Lord. They, they have a profession of faith in God and Judaism that they're in right standing because of the bloodline that they carry and the laws that they're keeping. But we've seen all throughout the gospel of John, the Lord contending with them saying uh, that, and, and really the, the summary of it can be that they were honoring their traditions over the word of God. But he's constantly confronting them saying, you don't know me or you, you don't know my father, you know, your father, the devil. 
You know, there, there are some pretty heavy things. At one point, uh, Jesus uh, calls them sons of snakes, you brood of vipers. Here, there's some very contentious uh, ha- discussions between Jesus uh, and uh, the religious leaders. So when the, when the disciples see that they've been banned from synagogues and they've been killed uh, by people that uh, think they're doing God's will, I'm sure that you could hear a pin drop. You know, there are those times, right? Um, I, and for me in high school, and I've shared this before, but this is the best time that I can think of, is a wrestling mat's pretty. When something hits it, especially a pin, you wouldn't hear it. I guarantee we would have heard it when my coach lost his mind at least once a year. Very calm man, very a big, strong guy, uh, former Marine, and he uh, he loved wrestling and he loved his family. Uh, also a a, um, a uh, physical edu- education teacher, and every year, uh, you know, he would devote that whole season to us so that we had uh, you know, our time to come in and learn how to wrestle. So we'd be, uh, we'd learn the lessons. If you don't know, the, the lessons learned from wrestling, you'll take through your whole life. And I can't say that for every sport that I did. Wrestling really teaches you success and failure. It teaches you discipline. Um, it teaches you a lot. Uh, it teaches uh, a lot of uh, technique. You have to, you have to study it. You have to know uh, how to wrestle and all these things. And he would spend his time away from his family and spend it with us. One practice a year, we wouldn't be paying attention. We would be doing stupid stuff and kind of just goofing around. And, uh, and we would ultimately get him to a point where the clipboard would fly across the room and his voice would shoot through the roof and everybody's dead silent for the rest of the practice. There's not a word said. There's a lot. There's. A, I'll be honest and be blunt. There was throwing up that happened. There's a lot of grunting. There's a lot of collapsing. You know, and and practice was not fun after that. So that happened my first three years in wrestling. First three years, our senior year, us seniors got together and said that will not happen on our watch, and it didn't. You know, we kept everybody going and uh, we kept everybody moving, but we didn't want that dead silence for the rest of the practice, dreading what's coming next, right? You guys have probably experienced that that dead silence before when something heavy is happening, right? When something, he- I, I guarantee that nobody's, you know, you know, out, you know, on a side conversation right now, as Jesus is saying, you're going to be kicked out of synagogues. When somebody kills you, they're going to be think that they're doing God's will. If we ever hear, uh, you know, if somebody's saying, hey, I got something heavy to tell you, and it's those two things, we're dead silent. And that's where these guys are. <clears throat> that, that pin drop uh, could, have, could have been heard, and they knew this was serious. We know from reading that uh, when we can read in hindsight, it wasn't long after Jesus said this that this all started for them. And uh, Jesus was preparing them. Now, it happens uh, earlier in the scripture. When you get into the book of Acts, and you start seeing, even in Acts 4, and we'll get into Acts 5, the resistance and the persecution of the church and those that are preaching the gospel. But if you turn with me to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. In Acts 7, there's the record of Stephen being stoned. And as Stephen is being stoned, the clothes of those that are, st- are, are, are stoning Stephen 
are being laid at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we learn that his name is Saul of Tarsus. So his name is Saul, and he's from uh, the town of Tarsus. Now, Acts 8, chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, one, ver, sorry, <laughs> chapter Acts 8, verses 1 through 4 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, Stephen's death. At, a time, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. They were scattered. They were all, okay, you know what? If you're going to attack us here, they're going out and they're, they're preaching the word, it says. Move in your, just uh, the next chapter over, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him, uh, from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So it starts off in, in uh, we see at the end of uh, Acts 7. And then as we look into Acts 8, we see a time of great persecution against the church. And everybody being scattered except for the apostles, right? And then it says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He's entering into house. He's dragging people out, men and women, com uh, committing them to prison. They're being thrown into prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then as we look at what we just read, Saul still breathing threats uh, and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Remember, when we're looking uh, back at, uh, at uh, John, chapter six, uh, John 16, uh, when the Lord says that those who, those will, they will put you out of the synagogue, yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. You could put Paul right in there. He's, he's not the only one, but he's definitely one of them that Jesus was speaking of. And we know from what we just read that, that God had a whole different plan for the life of Paul. Paul thought he was doing what was right. And he thought what he, he, was, he was offering service to God. And he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, it says. And then uh, at the end of verse 2, it says, So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So threats and murder. Acts chapter 26, if you can turn over there. We're not going to do a whole lot of Bible gymnastics this morning, but a little bit. <clears throat> Acts 26, in the same book, right? Just turning a couple chapters, a couple pages. Acts 26, verse 9. Indeed, I, 
I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often <laughs> in every synagogue <clears throat> and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul fits the category, doesn't he? He even says right there, I thought, my, I, thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We can look back at Jesus Christ in hindsight. We can look back and go, yes, he was God. They considered Jesus to be a blasphemer and a sinner. So when they, when they did these things and they put Jesus to death, they, they thought they were getting rid of the enemy is really what's happening. <clears throat> so they think they're doing what is right. This guy speaks against this. this he's doing these things on the Sabbath. He's, he's breaking the Sabbath. So they thought what they were doing uh, was, uh, was inside the will of God, but it was not. He says uh, here that he punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, being exceedingly enraged against them. He persecuted them even to foreign cities. That's what Paul was all about. That's when, when Paul's describing what happened, that's what he's doing. He's recounting what happened in his life, and he's, he's describing who he was and what was, what was happening in his life. And that's what he says about himself. That's quite a confession. That's quite a confession from a man that's now been changed by the Lord. And he says, when they were put to death, uh, I would cast, I cast my vote against them. You know, Paul eventually called himself, as he's writing, he's, uh, that he's, he's not worthy. Uh, and he also calls himself the chief of sinners. The guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy understood what, you know, where he was pulled from. And, and the, the man he was before Christ and the man he was now in Christ. That's quite a thing to say. Now, I'm just going to read a couple verses to you. You don't need to turn there unless you'd like to, but I'm not going to pause. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul is writing. He says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being made, uh, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. That's, that's who he was. What he's saying is Paul is that guy. Paul fits right in there as one of those guys that thought he was offering God service, that he was doing the right thing. When he declares here, he says, I persecuted the, the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Then he goes on to say, I advance in Judaism. I advance in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. This man was about serving the God of Israel. But what he, what he, he failed to realize and what, what he learns later is he's actually persecuting the God of Israel. Because in Acts chapter 9, as we read, Jesus meets him on the, on, on the road. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Those goads, it's a, it's a cow, uh, it's, a, it's a cattle prod. To put you when you kick against that, you're picking, you're kicking against something sharp. Like the Lord was already ministering to him, the Lord was already speaking to his heart. Kicking against the goads, a cattle will, as they're getting pushed in a certain direction, they'll kick against it because they don't want to go in that direction. 
That when when that's being said there, just understand the Lord was working in his heart. <clears throat> one more uh, one more uh, bit of uh, scripture to share with you. First Timothy one verses twelve and thirteen. This is Paul writing again to Timothy, and he says, "I thank Jesus Christ, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer." a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That same man that called himself the chief of sinners is saying here that the Lord counted him faithful. And he put him into ministry uh, because he was doing all these things, being, you know, uh, persecuting the church and being a blasphemer because he didn't know God. Remember, Jesus said those who, who uh, think they're offering God a service and these things they will do. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm referencing all the way back to John 16 again. Uh, these uh, they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. He had spent his whole life exceeding everybody else, the zeal of everybody else, because he wanted to be the guy that understood the religious system, but he didn't know the God that, that gave them the law. He didn't, he didn't know that God personally. He didn't have an intimate relationship with the Lord that he did after he met him on Acts, in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. You know, Paul believed that what he was doing was good. And he says, you know, he even said, I advanced in, Jerusalem, in uh, Judaism beyond many. You know, and God changed his life. But he was definitely one of those the Lord had spoke of. Verse 5, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So the disciples, as we discussed, are still hearing some scary things of Jesus going away. Betrayal from one of them. Peter's going to deny. And now they just heard persecution and death is coming. Those are uh, <clears throat> some pretty heavy things. And uh, Jesus says uh, that he didn't tell them these things while he was with them, but now he's going away to him who sent him. And uh, he speaks of the sorrow that is filling their hearts. But then he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit will come. You know, it's who he's speaking of. The helper will come. We, uh, <laughs> excuse me, in the past couple weeks discussed uh, the, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. And uh, these comforting words in a heavy time that Jesus is explaining that a helper would be promised. You know, that's what he's saying. Jesus is saying the helper will come. So in the heaviness of the moment and what they're hearing, and there's there's probably some helplessness, and, and we know that there was some fear there. But Jesus says there's going to be a helper coming. As I go to the Father, I will send the helper. Now, Jesus is the one that they trust with their lives, and when they hear something like that, they're going to be comforted uh, by those words that they hear him say. And he says, if I, uh, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This is God the Son speaking of sending God the Spirit. You know, Jesus was accused of uh, making himself equal with God because he was. 
You know, God, you know, the Trinity, Oliver and I were talking uh, on the phone yesterday and he's just like, man, my favorite thing to talk about, my favorite thing to study is the Trinity, you know, just diving right in, you know, that, that, that great, it's, uh, it'd make your head spin trying, trying to understand it, but make that head spin. That's all right. Dive in, challenge ourselves, you know, ask the Lord to reveal himself and he will. But Jesus is speaking that as he departs, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So the Lord is explaining that it's to their advantage for him to go away. His mission, his mission as the son of God that came to die for the sins of the world would be complete. And that as he goes, he's not going to leave us alone, but then he'd send the Holy Spirit. Alfred says this. It is to your advantage implies that the dispensation of the spirit is a more blessed manifestation of God than was even the bodily presence of the risen savior. That's a powerful. I'm going to read it one more time. It says it is to your advantage implies that the dispensation of the spirit is a more blessed manifestation of God than even the bodily presence of the risen savior. That that group of people, because Jesus is walking with them, Jesus, as he humbled himself and brought himself to be a man, could be in one place at one time. When the Holy Spirit comes, God is everywhere, right? As he's in our hearts and he's spreading. That's why when the church is being persecuted and they're, they're getting spread out, they're spreading the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit is in them and he's teaching them and he's, he's, uh, he's speaking to them and emboldening them. And then they're going and they're sharing uh, because now they have a boldness that comes from the Spirit. And they can go and, and share in a spirit of boldness and not in a, a spirit of fear. So when Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the helper. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we learn of a role of the Holy Spirit here to convict the world. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. We can preach the gospel all we want. We cannot convict somebody's soul. We just can't. We can't bring someone to the point of conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And Jesus is saying that here, that he's going to bring uh, conviction of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they do not believe me. It's unbelief and rejection of Jesus that makes one truly guilty. Someone would stand uh, guilty before the Lord if they pass away and they've rejected the Lord all their lives, then they've rejected their Savior. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit can show the world the righteousness of Jesus and its own unrighteousness. In Jesus' day, as we discussed, uh, he was considered to be a sinner and a blasphemer, one that was breaking the law. So they uh, they can they looked at him as such. You know, today he's known by believers and many unbelievers alike as a standard of perfection. Even someone who doesn't know and follow Jesus, when they hear Jesus Christ, they're like, whoa, that was a good guy. You know, they'll know, okay, he was a, if nothing else, a lot of people are, are able to commit that he was a moral man and that he taught, uh, he taught morality and he taught love and he was a good teacher of judgment because of the ruler, because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan, along with those 
who follow him face a judgment of God because of the world's rejection of him. There, there is an ultimate judgment you know, coming for the enemy of our soul, for Satan. We know, you can just open up the book of Revelation, he will be cast into the lake of fire. There's a judgment there, and there's a hatred for mankind within the, within the heart of Satan. And he wants to drag as many people as he can away from the grace of Jesus Christ and walking with the Lord, and he because he knows the judgment is coming. Verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. <laughs> However, <clears throat> when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He had many things uh, to say, Jesus did, and uh, he would say them through the Holy Spirit and, and teach them. But what he's saying here is you cannot bear them now. Their hearts are too heavy. There's too much going on. And just look at the Lord. If this doesn't tell you that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Their hearts are already weighed down. They're already hearing of all these things. And the Lord's still ministering. He's teaching them. And what he's saying here is um, you cannot bear them now. You can't bear them right now. But you're, you're going to hear what you need to uh, as the Spirit comes. Their hearts were too heavy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And then he says, he's telling them, however, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. The Spirit of truth. He will guide us into all truth. We can, and it says we can know that the word is true. You know, his, he's the spirit of truth and he can't not do that. He can't not lead us in the way of truth because he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of God. He's going to tell us of things to come, Jesus says. He's going to tell you of things to come. Now, remember, he's speaking this to the disciples, and that the disciples, once they, uh, once they witness and they, they talk with the resurrected Christ and, and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them and then they are now uh, walking in the power of the Spirit, the Lord's revealing. And, and they can look back at conversations. You remember when he said that? You remember? And, and their eyes are now open. And, oh, Jesus said this was going to happen. He also said that we were going to be persecuted and that when people kill us, they're going to think that they're doing God uh, uh, justice, that they're doing God's will. He will tell you of things to come. Speaking further of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, verse 14, he says, He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said <laughs> that he will take of mine and declare it to you. We just discussed the way, the truth, and the life. You know, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to point the world to Jesus as the Savior of the world and to reveal the uh, reveal Jesus Christ to the world. We can go and we can we can tell people about Jesus, but it's the Spirit that introduces Jesus. You know that 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 pushes. A, a man or a woman or, or child to that point of, of knowing and meeting Jesus Christ. Because we can speak all day long 
on our own on our own efforts and we can we can share these things but when the spirit comes in and he brings that conviction and he brings uh, those to Jesus it's a, a miraculous thing that happens the revelation of Jesus Christ is what the spirit does you know there there can be all kinds of visions and, and revelations and other spiritual things if they do not glorify Jesus they're not of the Holy Spirit there are all kinds of, 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 of books that can be out there and movements that can be out there. Now, oh, this is going to happen and everything. Wait a minute. Does it glorify Jesus Christ? No, then it's not a work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the, how we can find, uh, find out. Wait, is, it, is this glorifying Jesus Christ? Is this bringing glory to his name? Because if it's not, it's not of the Holy Spirit and you move on. Say, nope, not going to partake in that. Verse 16, a little while longer, these, these, uh, these next verses, 16 through 24, are speaking of sorrow being turned to joy. <laughs> a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, what is it that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? <clears throat> we do not know what he's saying. And Jesus is preparing them uh, for the upcoming betrayal, crucifixion, and burial that, that is, is, is coming here. And Judas and his little band of thugs are on their way, right? They've grabbed their lanterns and their pitchforks or whatever, and they, they think, okay, we've got enough people, we're going to go. And we're going to go get Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to go get him. We know where he's at. And, and so they're on, they're on their way. That, that plan is already in motion. And Jesus is preparing them uh, for what's going to happen. That a little while and you will not see me. And then he says in a little while you will see me. You know, as we consider the message of the cross, you can't, we can't preach the message of the cross without preaching resurrection. We can't. That's an incomplete message. It's Jesus died on the cross. And then what happened? Did he just get buried in, in uh, the borrowed tomb and left there? Alan just got back from Israel. Alan went into, there, there are a couple of places that, that, uh, that uh, Israel will point to and say, Jesus may have been buried here or may have been buried there. The great thing about either of them is there's nobody in there. It's an empty tomb. So when Jesus says, a little while and I won't be, long, won't be here with you, and then he says, and in a little while I will be, He's speaking of the resurrection. You're not going to see me. The world's going to get all excited, and we'll get into that. I'm going to way ahead of myself here. But the world's going to get all excited thinking they won, but you guys are going to see me. They're not going to see me anymore, but you will. You know, Jesus, <clears throat> when Jesus predicted something, you know, whenever he made a declaration, he could, he'd always back it up by his actions. And I know I, I, I say that often, but it's, it's literally it's something we need to know and be able to uh, be able to speak of as we share our faith. You'll remember in Luke chapter five, the paralytic being healed. You know, remember the friends rip open the, the roof and they, they lay the friend because they can't get in there. He's a paralytic. He's on his bed. They can't get into where Jesus is. So they start ripping the roof apart and they lower him down. And it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he looked at him and said, you know, your, your sins are forgiven you. And uh, the scribes and Pharisees start talking. They're mumbling and everything. And they're, you know, who could say that? This is blasphemy. Only God alone can can say these things. And, and it says that Jesus perceived their thoughts and questions them. 
And uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, verse 23, he says, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up, rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Yeah, strange things today, right? You saw somebody rip open a ceiling and lower a guy down. And then this guy that we're there listening to looks at him and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Not what they were expecting. But when they heard it, they're automatically just questioning. Who can say these things? And Jesus had already declared to be God. And when, when he is, is making these declarations, he's backing it up. He goes, Okay, what's easier to say, for me to tell him that his sins are forgiven or for me to heal this man, tell him to get up, carry his bed, and walk out of here? And he says that you would know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He looks at him and says, arise, take up your bed, and walk. When Jesus made a claim, he backed up every single one of them. So when Jesus is telling the disciples, when he gets to that point, where, where he says, a little while you're going to see me, and then you're not, you're not going to see me, and then you are going to see me. He's, he's speaking of his resurrection. And he can speak and say, because remember, Jesus even said that, that it's um, speaking. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, right? And he says, I, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down, and I have the power to take it back again. So he can speak in boldness and, and, uh, and back it all up because he's the one who has the power to do it. So when he says, a little while, you're not going to see me, but then you will see me again, because he has the power to say that, and he can do that. Jesus is speaking of his, of his resurrection in John chapter 2, verse 19. He answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up, raise it up. John 10, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, the Lord speaking, uh, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. <coughs> John 11. Lazarus uh, resurrection uh, at, the, at the command of, of Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, uh, as he's as he's speaking to uh, to his sister Lazarus' sister, he says, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live." So when Jesus says something is going to happen, it will. So he's speaking to these these disciples and he's telling them these things. When he says, "A little while you will see me, and again a little while you will not see me," you know the, the disciples are trying to figure that out, right? They're, what is he talking about? A little while we're going to see him, and then we're not. We're not going to see him, then we're going to see him, and they're they're at this point of of trying to figure these things out. And then Jesus says in nineteen, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, <coughs> and he said to them, "Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said?" A little while, and you will not see me again. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will leap and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. 
But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, now you have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. So the Lord is telling them, you'll weep. You'll so he goes through and he explains what's going to happen. And he says, you're going to, to weep and lament. You know, the world's going to rejoice. They think they've got, you know, what they what they want. You're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Just like a woman in labor, a pain I don't know. No man knows, right? We don't know that. And a woman that's been through that would understand that. You know, the pain and anguish that, that has gone through, it all goes away when the baby's in the hands. Comes the face. Comes the smile. And I'm looking at, at a, a part of me, the, the baby that's, that's grown inside me, and that, that mother that can, that can hold that child. All the pain of labor is gone. All that work, everything that, that had been there uh, is, is all forgotten about. And, and, you know, just think of, we know the story, right? When the disciples saw Jesus, you know, there's the, and just, there's that joy that happens because they had lost him. And they thought he was gone forever because their their minds were still trying to get wrapped around everything he said. And then when when they start understanding, wait a minute, he said he was going to come back. And now they've got the risen Christ and that he's not dead. <clears throat> and uh, so they, they have this great joy. But Jesus said, you know, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. You know, joy can't be taken. The joy that the Lord exists of the Lord it exists in the in the Christian, right? Just like a great, we talked about uh, in John chapter fifteen. I am the vine; you are the branches. As we're connected to the Lord, that joy, remember, that's a a fruit of the Spirit. That's that's going to be a product of our lives. As we're abiding in Christ, there's going to be joy that comes in our lives. Just like a grape would on a vine, uh, we are going to have the joy as we abide in Him. So as he's speaking that, he's speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. We spent a lot of time discussing that last week. So when Jesus was arrested, crucified, and buried, the sinful world uh, had celebrated and rejoiced because the enemy of God was, was gone. And uh, because he rose from the dead, we as Christians and they, uh, the disciples, uh, could rejoice. And it's important to understand that God doesn't replace our sorrow with joy. He transforms our our sorrow into joy. Doesn't replace it. Doesn't take it away. He he changes it. He transforms our sorrow into joy because we know that He lives. Our sin is gone. We can have the approach of what can man do to us? No one can snatch us out of His hand. We're we're serving the risen Christ. We're serving the risen Lord. There's there's nobody that can steal that joy from us. Nobody that can take us out of His hand. Verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked <coughs> excuse me, nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be filled. So Jesus is preparing them for his departure here, and he's explaining how things will work when he's gone. You know, He won't be there physically, so they're told to ask the Father in his name. We know uh, that the Lord uh, is the only mediator between God and man. We know that he's our advocate, John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, that the Lord is our advocate. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The Lord is speaking here of a heavenly joy when he's saying, you can ask these things in my name, and I will give it to you, and he will give it to you, that your joy may be full. You know, that's not, a, oh, i got to ask in Jesus' name, and then I can have everything I want in this life. It's about the joy of the Lord. It's about more of him, more of his presence in our lives. We're out of time, so we're going to uh, we're going to finish this because I still have like four pages. We're going to finish this out next week. I don't want to rush through it, so uh, we're we're going to to end there. We're going to pick up uh, with uh, the Lord, and we're going to focus on Jesus Christ overcoming the world. <clears throat> so we. Uh, off to a little bit of a late start this morning, but I don't want to rush through four pages of notes and go, and then, and then we just feel like we've skipped over these things. We'll just, there's no, there's no set thing. This is where the Lord has us. Then we'll pick up in verse 25 next week. So would you all stand with me and we'll pray. Lord, we are blessed to know Lord that we have the Holy Spirit. Lord, there are a lot of fearful things that can come. But Lord, knowing that we can have your peace because the Spirit is with us, ministering to us, teaching us, bringing us to maturity, Lord. Help us not to, to uh, rebel against you or resist the Spirit, Lord. We want you to have your work in us. We want your word to work through our lives and to, and to lead and guide us. That's what you do. Thank you for your faithfulness and your word. We ask God that you would uh, help it to be on our minds as we leave here today. Be with us and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.